There haven't been many films in the history of the world that have been more intriguing than the film I'm going to talk about this week in the actor's room. Hi, my name's Jeff Tarowski, and this week I talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Sit back. Relax. I hope you enjoyed this show. This is episode 95 in the Actors Room, and welcome back. I hope everybody out there is doing real good. I'm doing fine. Thanks for tuning in this week. Trying to do it every week. If that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But here I am, talking about a film that has been one of those that, uh, let's just say, have always given me a perspective that I couldn't quite grasp. Early in my life, learning about acting, learning about film... I just watched a film and took it for what it was, didn't look into it too much. And with this one, the first time I saw it, I said, weird, interesting, beautiful. But I don't know what the hell that ending is. I don't know what that big uh, statue thing that they keep seeing everywhere. That's weird. Uh, okay, move on with my life. And I did. After the second viewing, I saw it with my buddy. And he pointed out a few things to me while I watched it with him. And it was great. And then I saw a few things. We kind of talked about it. Um, I'm not quite sure if we came to a conclusion that made sense to us at that time. But it was a nice discussion, I remember. And that was that. And I think I've watched it once since I watched it last night. So I think a total of four times I've seen this one. Stanley Kubrick's Masterpiece. I do like Eyes Wide Shut. Barry Lyndon, very underrated. Beautiful film as well. But this one, by God. If there's one film that has a lot to say, but what are they saying? What is Stanley saying? What is Arthur C. Clarke saying? And those who love this film and have looked up uh, opinions, um, other things, like for instance, the monolith. What's it all about? What's its meaning? What about the ending? And everything else in between. We're not going to talk about everything in between. It would be a five-hour show. We're going to hit points in the film, for me, that are so fascinating. And you got to remember, this film... Came out in 1968. Let me say that one more time. 1968. This is before the moon landing, folks. The moon landing happened in 69. In the summer of 69, July. This movie came out in 68. Look at how beautiful this film is. It is crisp. The cinematography for 1968 
is just, it's mind-blowing. How did Stanley know about all this stuff? Now, mind you, he was a very intelligent man. Very artistic. Integral. He had a step-by-step process to do just about everything in his life. I'm not kidding. Step-by-step processes on how to take care of his dog. When he had somebody watch his dog, the dog watcher said that there was a page-by-page description, step-by-step process, and how to take care of the dog. Nothing is left to chance with Stanley Kubrick. Every second of every one of his films is specific in his meaning. And when you watch his other films, you can see that, right? But in this one, it is loaded, filled with beautiful imagery, beautiful music. It's a masterpiece. One of the few masterpieces of film that you could sit back, put in. You don't really put in today. You just put on your TV. You click it on. You put in 2001 Space Odyssey. I don't own it. So I had to rent it on uh, Prime. Amazon Prime. And that's what I did last night. I've been wanting to see this again for three months. It's a long film, and I want to sit down and watch it from beginning to end with no interruptions. That didn't happen. Five minutes in, the dog had to take a shit. (laughs) I'm like five minutes in, man. And I started the movie at nine. I'm thinking, okay, I'm starting it at nine. (laughs) I should be okay. (laughs) Now, the dog knows as soon as I sit down. But anyways, off topic. But I wanted to watch it from beginning to end, and I did. Around midnight, I was done. Stanley Kubrick. What a guy. Very interesting guy. I've heard a lot of rumors about this man. What he was involved in. What he knew. Who he had contact with. Not just Hollywood. Outside Hollywood. High society. People within NASA. People high in government. Stanley hit his hands in a whole bunch of different things. He was that guy, curious about everything. He placed himself in positions where he can find out information that would help him, not only in his personal life, because he was just that interesting guy, but also in his artistic life, his films, his art, his contribution to art. And that is art. Film is art. Look at Space Odyssey. That's art. Every single frame has a meaning, a purpose. Every single frame is beautiful. Slow moving, yes. But you got to go into this movie, sit back and watch it as a piece of art, like I said, like a painting. You sit back and you just enjoy a painting to really understand, say, a beautiful painting you see at a museum. They have uh, those booths that you could sit on 
and just look at the painting. And people will sit and look at a painting for minutes, sometimes hours, to figure out the painting, what it means. What did the artist or what is the artist trying to tell me? Because most of the artists, when you go to a museum, are dead. So what were they trying to tell me? What was in their brains when they were making this? But sometimes, that doesn't matter. And I'll tell you why. Just like any piece of art, a true artist will never reveal their secrets, their true meaning. They put it out there, a bit mysterious and interesting, and want you to actually make up your opinion. What a concept. And that's what Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke did with this film, 1968. How did they do this? Here we go. Making points. <laughs> We're not going to, we can't do the whole film like every scene by God. I tried doing that with The Godfather, like explaining the synopsis of the film, right? Scene by scene, what like certain scenes meant. You don't want to hear that. We're not doing it. Uh, those who've seen this movie are going to know what I'm talking about and follow me very well. Others that may have heard of this film or just know a little bit about it. Um, that's, that's good too. Uh, you don't have to stop the podcast right now and finish it later. So you have to watch the movie. No, you can listen to this, uh, hear what I have to say about it and then go and see it and make up your own mind. That's the beauty of this film. It's not like it's a, uh, there's a twist at the end. Like a surprise ending. You go, you fucker. You know? <laughs> I used to do that to my brother all the time. I couldn't help myself. I was so excited. I figured he'd seen the movie and I would reveal to him what happened at the end. Th- that's not the case with this movie. It's just one of those films where after you're done watching it, if you can get through the whole thing, <laughs> you go, um, but that guy was on some serious drugs. <laughs> Because that was really just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was just, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. And then you walk away. You forget about it, right? But those who are kind of into this uh, space thing. uh, (laughs) um, Alien thing. um, Philosophical talk. um, Other aspects of life that are questions, question marks, the beauty of it all, life, death, reincarnation, the whole bag, religion, sort of, but more just progress and inspiration. That's what Stanley tried to do with this. That's, this is my opinion here, folks. This is coming from me. I've listened to other shows and, uh, read up on other people's opinions and what they feel about it. It's it's pretty much the same thing. But I have my spin on it. <laughs> uh, quite different from a lot of other people's opinions. I like it too. I like when I have an opinion about a film that's really 
very different from everybody else's. Now, for the most part with the plot, I agree with most points, but there are others I don't. And I think that's healthy. I like that. So here we go. The most important parts of this film come around the monolith. And what's a monolith? Well, it's a structure in the film um, about 10 feet high. And I was a little surprised. I did research on this. Stanley didn't make it 11 feet. And I'm like, hmm, 11 is a very important number in uh, certain cultures. Uh, numerology um, and certain uh, other uh, religions. Not so light, but more dark. 11 is a very important number. And I, I would have I, I bet the house. That the monolith would have been 11 feet tall. Not quite 11 feet tall. I I guess it was like a little over 10. (laughs) So I was close. And maybe Stanley didn't want to be too blatant about it. But I was a little shocked. But the monolith is about 10 feet tall. And I want to say 3 to 4 feet wide. It's like a... A tablet. A big screen TV, but upright. <laughs> okay. And these are shown throughout the film four times. Okay. And in the beginning of the film, you have the dawn of man. Stanley goes and he starts from the very beginning. Of course. We see us as apes. Figuring shit out. Peaceful. Very simple. We haven't quite gotten uh, too far just yet, but we're eating, we're conversing a little bit, and defending our territory. Okay, pretty basic. And then these apes, as they do every night, fall asleep and wake up the next morning to the monolith. It's just there. It appears out of nowhere. Just there. Well, the apes start freaking out. What the hell is this? They're touching it, they're kissing it, they're smelling it, they're feeling it, whatever. But from what I gather, they accept it. And what does it give them? Well, in the next scene, you find out what it gives them. Inspiration. Because the very next day, or it might be a week from then, I don't know. One of the apes picks up a bone and uses it as a weapon. He's inspired. A thought process happens. He is starting to evolve, getting smarter, using his brain. And with the tool, they're able to kill animals, eat meat. Oh, that's a revelation. I love meat. Those of you who are vegetarians, I don't I don't understand it. If it makes if meat makes you sick, I get it. But don't you crave a burger? I I crave meat. And that's where the ape Gets the bone. Uses it as a weapon. Boom. Done. We got meat. And he also uses the bone as a weapon. To defend his land. From other apes in the area. And they show in the film. Stanley has an ape crush or kill. Another ape in battle. This is a big deal. That part is over. But I wanted to mention the monolith there. The monolith shows up. It's just there. And that's why the apes freak out at first. 
But the monolith signifies inspiration. Most say. Most say. The monolith is something uh, in, not, uh, okay, constructed. I was looking for the right word. I know, I know. <laughs> the brain. And if I had the time, I would have stopped it, erased it, ain't doing it. But, okay, what was I talking about? Uh, it was okay, the monolith. Sorry, folks. I'm there, I'm good. The monolith was constructed by aliens. That's what most say. Aliens. Well, what kind of aliens are you talking about? I love how they just throw this word around. Aliens. Are we talking about aliens that live on a planet that is so far away that they can just hop in their spaceship, fly over to us from time to time, uh, do their deeds, mess with us, have this just amazing interest in us because they have nothing else to do, right? So they just travel billions of miles to visit us, to give us inspiration, okay? We're like, um, to this other planet, uh, like a game, or they're trying to help us in some way, uh, to inspire us, to be better, to evolve. I don't buy it. The whole alien thing, not like what they're saying. There's something else. Alien, you could call it an alien if you want, but for now... We'll do that. So it makes sense. We'll call them aliens. You know, those little gray people. They come down. They're naked, right? They don't ever wear clothes. They're like three feet tall, right? Whatever. (laughs) The grays. Uh, We'll get into that later in the episode. What I think it means. The whole alien thing. Whatever. So that's the first time we see the monolith. The dawn of man. The apes. And inspires them to make weapons, to make tools, to advance. So here we are, right? We're in the so in Stanley's future, but sort of our past, 2001. I love it how uh, they're walking around in, of course, these weird outfits. They think that the, the suits didn't look too bad. I'll be honest with you. I think they did a good job in dressing up the people, but I love how... They try to make everything around them in these films, right? From the 60s and 70s. Everything is all just one color. You know, like silver, gray. Um, it, it, hardly any, like, style. It's pretty boring. Like, they thought the people in the 60s and 70s with the ridiculous styles, you know, combining all these weird colors in their clothes, it was interesting to see, you know, <laughs> the clothes that they wore back then, the suits the guys wore in the 60s and 70s, I mean, the colors clashed, and that was the style. And then they probably thought, well, we'll get over that, evolve, and in the future, we're going to be so completely boring. It's going to be all white, silver. Uh, Stanley does place in to his films weird furniture. Look at a clockwork orange. Look at a clockwork orange. And the furniture that Stanley uses in that movie he did kind of with this one. The how things are going to look in the future. Weird, unusual, very uncomfortable looking chairs and couches. <laughs> Stanley's like they're just uncomfortable and bland and blah in the future. 
And then they have, I, I love to see how they do the whole communication thing with phones and how you're going to talk to people in the future. Well, they did this. They have the little phone booth with the monitor. Okay. They didn't quite see how a phone can fit into your hand and can use that for communication. They just didn't see it. The whole Buck Rogers thing, they did. Others did not. They just couldn't see it. But we did it. Here we are, 2020. And we live off of our phones. This little thing we just put in our pocket and take it out whenever we want. And we could do just about anything just with that phone. Some prefer the desktop or their laptop. But most love to use their phones for everything. They have this guy go into a little booth, sit down. He's working at his little space station office. And he wants to talk to his family. He doesn't reach into his pocket to get his iPhone, of course. Because they didn't see iPhones in 1968. No, there's not going to be iPhones. Steve Jobs, who's he? He's somewhere in 1968 getting fucking high in India. He didn't invent anything just yet. I don't think in 68. No, not yet. He was thinking about it though. I think he was working at Atari at that time. Don't quote me. But Steve Jobs was definitely uh, probably high in acid when this movie came out. iPhone. Not yet, you know, going on there. But they have this guy sitting down in the phone booth. I know I'm talking like crazy here, folks. Bear with me. I do babble. Apologize. The phone booth has a monitor, and that's how he gets to talk to his kid. Uh, the wife wasn't around. I guess the wife was out shopping, and the kid, I know, the kid was just like, Hi, Dad. How are you? <laughs> and the, the dad's like, Where's Mom? She's out shopping. And he's concerned at this point. Well, who's watching you? And the kid says, like, some name. Oh, Kim. <laughs> but that's how they communicate. Sitting in a little booth with a monitor, he has the, like a card that something gets read in a card, which is good. I like that because we use cards, credit cards, debit cards, things like that. We still use cards at work. I use a card to get stuff out of the vending machine. I hardly ever use cash, ever. I always use cards. So that I liked. I saw that he used a card. To make the phone call. Instead of pumping in quarters. Which they did in 1968. Back then it was probably a nickel right. A nickel to make a phone call. And then when I was a kid. It was a quarter. And before pay phones went away. I mean good luck. Trying to find a pay phone by the way. <laughs> I mean they, they virtually have gotten rid of. All cell phones. I'm sorry. Pay phones. Cell phones. So. There's a meeting. With the future uh, astronaut people. Okay. And in the meeting, it is said they have found something. They're not going to say what it is. <laughs> but it has created a bit of a controversy around just the whole community of high society. And what's going on? What would you guys find? I can't quite tell you. But we found something. We'll let you know. <laughs> Everything's kind of on hold here But we found something significant Okay So the monolith 
right? It's on the moon. And this signifies a new inspiration. Space travel. And that's where we get the wonderful conclusion. Because mind you, the beginning had the apes. And then we have the talk about a discovery. A new discovery. And what does it mean? Well, it means you're going to be going on to the next chapter of life. Of the life of a human. Because that's what the film is about. This journey. And the monolith appears again. And this time, it's about space travel. And HAL, the computer. H-A-L. H-A-L. HAL. Is the computer that pretty much controls everything on the spaceship. Where Dave and his buddy, Frank... The astronauts are on the ship, and there's three other astronauts, but they're being uh, held in, like, a coma state. Okay. And it's sort of a mystery why they're sort of being kept that way. To the computer, anyway. Hal, he finds all this very mysterious. Because the reason why they're going out there to Jupiter... Is because of the monolith. But it's such a mystery. And they're doing it in such a weird way. That even the computer. That I guess was built in 1992. I think it said. Feels that. The humans. Are being sketchy. And they're going to fuck everything up. And don't you just love it. That Stanley and Arthur knew. In 1968. That computers might be kind of dangerous to the human race in one way or another. Yes, they are damn convenient, aren't they? I'm doing my show on my phone, okay? This little phone does everything. But it's also consuming our lives. And so many of us out there can't get away from our phones. And I've listened to people tell me that... Sometimes their phones break and they have to wait for a new one. And in the few days they don't have a phone, it's such a revelation and how our lives used to be. Sort of, I don't know, like, are we sort of addicted to our phones or they're just a part of our lives now and they kind of hold us hostage in a way? Um, simply sitting down at the end of the night. How many of you? Actually sit down at the end of the night before you go to bed and just watch TV without your phone, looking down on it all the time, playing a game, reading Facebook, catching up on everything. Okay? When I was a kid, nobody had, maybe we had a Game Boy, but we all sat and watched TV together and had a conversation sometimes. It's hard to do that these days. And Stanley saw it in a way. The danger of computers. And here he places into this movie. The possibility that a computer can turn on us. And has the ability to do that. That fear. That here we have a computer controlling everything. In this film, the computer controlled the lives of the people that were in the coma. 
uh, sort of deep freezed for the trip. Okay, he controlled their lives. Their little pods they were in were controlled by the computer hell. And everything else on that ship ran through hell. If hell had an issue with anybody, gone. (laughs) But he's a computer, right? We build them and they do what we say. But what if they don't? What if they evolve into something else? And Stanley saw that possibility way back then. I find that unbelievably fascinating. It goes to show you how bright and enlightened Stanley Kubrick was. And he was. Folks, Stanley was on another level. And you talk to anybody in the film business. And I'm talking about the higher-ups, the ones that are highly respected. Every single one of them. If they're good in any way. Look up to Stanley Kubrick. Because he was on a level that every other film producer or director wanted to be. He was that amazing. In 2001. Signified his brilliance. His genius. His vision. The mystery of it all. What did Stanley know? How did he know it? When did he know it? And was he trying to tell us something? I'm going to tell you. He was. Folks. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Stanley told stories. He was a storyteller. But he also. Wanted to reveal something. That he had knowledge of. Or suspicions of. I found out some information about Stanley recently that kind of blew me away and I didn't believe it. And I reached out to the person who said it <laughs> and I said, how do you know that? And I'm interested to, know, to pick your brain because I thought I knew pretty much everything about Stanley. I guess I didn't. I said, how did you know that? Because <laughs> I didn't find... Okay, I'm going to tell you. Somebody on a show Said, and pretty confidently, that Kubrick was a pedophile. And I was like, wait a minute. I've never, ever (laughs) had any suspicion whatsoever that Kubrick was in any way interested in kids. On any level. Except maybe to pat them on the head. And he gave me a few sources And I wasn't blown away by them at all. So that's just uh, maybe an opinion from another source that isn't backed by anything. But this I'll tell you. Stanley, I think he knew about certain uh, rings of pedophilia. Not only in Hollywood, but in high society. I don't think he participated in any way. But he had knowledge of a lot of stuff. And I think he wanted to sort of reveal it in his art. It's there. It's almost like watch my movies, my art. And within my art, you're going to find little tidbits that reveal things. Keep your eyes open, he says. Right? And in his very last film, Eyes Wide Shut. You see why. 
This was a brilliant man. I don't think he was deviant in any way. I think he was just a a, a very um, meticulous man. Um, you know, these genius people, they just, their brains, they're on, I, I can't even imagine what went through his head every day. Like this, all this brilliant stuff. Um, I couldn't even imagine it. And I'm sure it was hard for him to keep all that stuff in one place. I'm sure it really did do him justice to sit down, read a script, or write it, and say, I'm doing this, I'm going to concentrate on it, put everything into this. And that way, maybe he was more focused. Because these geniuses, these brilliant people, high IQ, just incredibly creative. It's hard for them to sit still. They're constantly working. They have to. They'll go crazy if they don't. And within his processes, his mind, his art, he wanted it to mean something, to say something. And that's what he's doing with this one. And I'm getting excited talking about it uh, because it reveals certain uh, avenues of thought, um, religion, godly figures, um, mysterious figures, entities, and dimensions. Ah, the key word here, folks. Dimensions. Because Hal, the computer, doesn't trust the humans. And what he does is, he tells one of the astronauts, hey, I think it was Dave, Dave, hey, Dave, hey, Dave, <laughs> Dave, um, there's an error that will occur in one of the, I think it was a uh, satellite on the ship. There's going to be an error in three days, Dave. Like, Hal's telling him, this object, this piece of equipment, will break down in three days. I'm that good. I'm that good of a computer. I can see into the future and tell you, three days from now, that piece of equipment will break down. So the astronaut, Dave's, well, we got to check this out. Hal, thank you. They go retrieve this object, bring it back into the ship. They're doing tests on it. There's nothing wrong with it. And Hal's like, okay, number one, you failed the first test. Although he suggested them go out, bring it in and test it for faults, they don't find any faults, of course, because the computer Hal has a history of never, ever making mistakes. It's a computer, folks. Computers don't make mistakes. Humans do in our constructions of them. But when you tell a computer and program it to do two plus two, it always gives you four. Folks, it does. It does. Two plus two is four. We know it. And we told the computers, we programmed it. Two plus two is four. Uh, you put two plus two in the computer and it gives you five. Wow, you got a major problem with the, uh, the programmers of that, of that computer. Take it back. Computers don't make mistakes. Hell, didn't make any mistakes. And he was testing the astronauts to see what they would do. Fucking with them. The astronauts are like, hey, Dave, hey, Frank, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this equipment. Hell, why would you do that, man? This, there's nothing wrong with it. We're going to put it back, right? 
And Hal's like, yeah, put it back out there. We'll find out in three days when it breaks down. Who's right or who's wrong? Hal knows. It ain't breaking down. He fucked with them. He's testing them. And now that the two astronauts are really concerned about Hal here. (laughs) They break away, go into this pod and turn everything off so they can have a conversation without Hal hearing everything. Because Hal's like everywhere in the ship. It's really quite creepy. And Hal himself, the computer, is really creepy. <laughs> hey, Dave. The way he talks. Creep. Oh, don't like it. Like tingly stuff happening, right? And that's what Stanley does. He did that on purpose. He's supposed to be creepy. This computer that talks, any computer that talks unnatural not human not right weird creepy uh, uh, not human <laughs> animatronics creep me out freak me out these uh, automated people that they got talking now oh I don't like it I don't like it it's I don't like it we're getting there folks and Hopefully, I'm going to be way gone when these things are walking around just like people. Are they going to make them so good that you can't even tell it's a robot? It's going to be scary in about, I don't know, like 100, 150 years. These things are going to be walking around. Okay? Uh, You guys out there and you women, you're going to be picking up robots. (laughs) You're going to take them home. And be like, hey, whoa, metal <laughs> down there. But who knows how good they're going to make these things? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's going to be crazy. The future is going to be, and it's advancing so quickly now. Think about it. Where we were, like, in the 80s to where we are now, who would have thought? We would have advanced this quickly. We're getting there. It's getting scary. Exciting. Very exciting. But very scary. (laughs) Okay. So the two guys are sitting in the pod. Talking about Hal. Hal can't hear him, right? He can't. But he can read lips. (laughs) He reads their lips. And knows they're up to something. So Hal strikes back. The first thing he does... He, uh, he kills the three other astronauts in isolation slash coma, uh, uh, Ville. Gone. Done. That was easy. He like pulled the plug. That's it. This is scary. And then he lets the other astronaut pretty much hang out in space, uh, gives him no help, dies. So it's only Dave. He's the only one left. Dave. Dave, you got to do it, man. <laughs> Take care of Hal. And he does. Like, Hal isn't. That powerful where he can get rid of all of them. But Dave pretty much unplugs them, basically. You know, little by little, removing up all of his sort of a uh, personalities and everything else that goes along with uh, how he runs and operates. Hal slowly uh, fades away and ends up seeing some um, song uh, as he dies. Nice touch by Kubrick. Well done. Uh, uh, you know, you're a little frightened at that whole experience just because it is, it's just weird. And Dave, after getting rid of hell, 
now goes through the next phase in Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke's vision. Now, mind you, this was based off of Clarke's book. I think it's called The Sentinel. Read it. And a lot of good stuff in there. (laughs) Way out there stuff. Interesting stuff. Now, Stanley and Arthur uh, made it different for just, I think Stanley wanted to take what Arthur had and combine it with what Stanley had or what Stanley believes. So I think they sort of met in the middle and made the very ending, the ending of this movie, so fascinating. Okay, here we go. The ending. Dave. His journey. He goes through a dimension. There you go. There it is. This is extremely vital in this story to me. The whole dimension thing. And when you're talking about aliens. This is what Stanley. Not so much Arthur. Mostly Stanley is telling you. This is coming from me. This is what Stanley is trying to tell us and what he knows. (laughs) Because in my opinion, if it was up to Stanley, that monolith would have been 11 feet tall. I think they kind of met in the middle there. (laughs) Stanley knew about certain things. And mind you, these are my opinions. I don't have backing and strong proof of this. This is just based on the research that I've done, not only on Stanley, but what Stanley may have been in contact with or who he would have been in contact with. Aha! <laughs> what and who? Or just the knowledge of it. Stanley was pretty high up in a lot of societies. Uh-huh. Uh cultures he knew about studied and just knew about that's it so the dimension dimension alien no no alien means other planet long far away coming over here bullshit and i've when i was a kid i believed it no doubt about it like these aliens from other planets are they're coming down. They're doing all these experiments on us. Oh my God. What if they, they choose me? And I'm, uh, I thought that, folks. I would look out my window and I would fear. One of those bony heads would peek around the corner. Like in Communion, the movie Communion with Christopher Walken. I thought that would happen to me. I, I believed it. I didn't sleep for a few years. Because... That's what I thought would happen. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Um, but this is what I'm trying to think. This is what I'm trying to portray. In 2001 Space Odyssey, what it means, what Stanley might have been trying to tell us, is that the monolith is a symbol of inspiration coming from entities that exist It can be conjured in some way, whether it's physical or not, whether that's possible. For some, it is. For others, they just, they don't want to see it. 
But I think Stanley knew that there was a way to gain knowledge or inspiration from another folks. This sounds so ridiculous. (laughs) But this is what I feel a lot of people believe. They believe there are dimensions that they can access where they receive knowledge. Now, are these dimensions good or bad? That's the question. Stanley uses this idea, okay, whether he experienced it or not, that's almost irrelevant in the story. Just the fact that it might exist, that there's a way to access or get to and experience other dimensions. And within these dimensions, we grow. It is because of this other dimension, we are inspired to evolve, get smarter, become more educated, not only within ourselves, but other worlds, other inspirations, that there are other hmm, things, beings, entities out there and uh, can be accessed. I mean, look at this film. He has Dave going through a dimension. And once he gets through that dimension, he's on another plane, an unearthly plane. Is he dead? Maybe. Is he within this other dimension experiencing it there? Yes. That's what I think. I think he's gone on to a higher place. Another place where this entity or dimension is showing him uh, inspirations beyond like his ability to even understand it. Because you can see Dave, you look at his face during the whole scene. He's either extremely surprised, shocked, (laughs) even when he sees himself older, he goes into one room experiences that and once he comes out he's evolved into something else and he's sitting down eating and uh it was uh, a wine glass that he broke and it falls the wine glass breaks but the wine remains where the body is shattered but the soul still moves on and it's the entities that make us realize that there's more It's just not a one-time thing. It's a constant growth. And together, okay, humans in this other entity, together, right, can do beautiful things and evolve. It's all about evolving, folks, getting smarter, learning, uh, advancing. And this film is about inspiration, It's inspiring in every way. And Stanley made it that way. He made the film inspiring. In 1968, you're sitting down watching this thing. You're going, what the? How the? What the? I mean, think about it. What Stanley did in 1968. And how he made everything look so amazingly beautiful in space. He did that. That took a lot of time. A lot of effort. And within it. 
is this message of inspiration, which was sort of conjured by one artist and then brought to life by another one. And together, they decided to make a film that showed inspiration within and without. And when I say without, (laughs) I mean it. Because what Stanley is saying is Dave ultimately dies. Old man. Kind of looks like an alien. He's laying in bed. And what does he see? The monolith. And he's alone. He's without. He's going through this alone. And this is the... It's somber. And it might be inspiring philosophically. Okay? You're being taught things or you're seeing things that blow you away. Or feeling things that blow you away. Dave is utterly alone. And Stanley, does he give that, that that little sneak peek? You know, it's not like Dave was with his family. You know how much your family means to you? What would you be? Without your family. Dave is just. Old. Going through what he went through. Alone. Nobody wants to be there. And he sees the monolith though. Right. This is it. He's going to be passing on. Finally. From this dimension. He'll. Go somewhere right. And I love how Stanley put in like the. Uh. I think it's called a creation of God painting that uh, I, th- I believe it was Michelangelo did. Creation. We have the man pointing at God and God is pointing back at him. Very beautiful painting. I love that painting. And he has Dave doing that to the monolith. Like the monolith is a God. Okay. <laughs> Very scary. Beautiful. Beautiful film. Dave dies. And we have. A baby. In a bubble. (laughs) In space. Weird looking baby. Because it's fake. It's not real. (laughs) Any fake baby. I I like run the other way. Remember Allie McBeal. And the dancing baby, don't get me started. I don't know what it is. I just, I, I, I had to just change the station. It was like, I don't want to see it. So Stanley puts in the last scene, the baby in the bubble looking down on earth. This is the star child, right? Star child. Like, superhuman, they say. Okay. The way I see it, the combination of human life and then you have the entity being combined with knowledge, experience, and all that stuff creates a being, a superhuman. This is very scary stuff for me. 
Others may see it as, oh, it's a beautiful thing, like this ultimate being. You know, you're being, you know, you're, you're being created in a different way, like this new creation. That's not normal. That's fucking with shit. Why are we fucking with shit? If this stuff actually exists in some weird way, okay? And I've done research on this. It's really, wow. Wow. What people believe. And I'm not saying Stanley believed this. I'm not. Uh, From what I understand, I don't think Stanley believed in this stuff. I think he found out about it. Found it fascinating. Thought they'd be a great movie. (laughs) You know, think about it. It's interesting. It's great. It it would make for a great story. And that's what Stanley did with this. But where did he get this stuff from? Was it all in his head? Some little bit. Maybe his opinion on it. But doing research. There are people. And I know they call it a star child. In this movie. But there are people. That think there's a way. To create a moon child. Look it up folks. I don't have time. (laughs) Or the power. (laughs) Or ability. To. Go into that too deep. But basically. You're uh, impregnating a woman through unethical ways to create like uh, a superhuman child where it won't be human. It'll be part human, but also something else. What are people thinking? What is wrong? Like, are you that bored? (laughs) I mean, and these are very smart people, though. They have thought up of this stuff. Like diving into things you shouldn't. Like don't mess with that stuff. Uh, It's dangerous. But interesting. Yes, they call it a star child. But I think they were going along the lines of the moon child. Very dangerous stuff, folks. Do entities exist... Is it possible? Is it so possible that portals exist? Because in the movie, Stanley had Dave go through a portal. Can it happen? God, I hope not. I hope it's just a fantasy-like story. Uh, the, the things that I've heard about like how can they like, how could somebody and mind you you know when you're a kid you do the Ouija board because it's fascinating but I grew up and I thought what if you were actually like talking to another entity like <laughs> at one point we got really drunk and we thought we were talking to Jim Morrison <laughs> of course you get wasted enough You'll believe you're talking to Jim Morrison. But, I mean, really, is it possible to get in contact and, like, actually go somewhere with that? And I hope it's not true. I hope it's just made-up stuff and people uh, pass on this information. Um, and I want to believe that. And in my little world, I think, <laughs> I think that 
it's impossible. In my world. In my world. And I'm okay saying that because I will never ever come across it. Because I won't go there. I won't. I'll never go there. I'll maybe uh, read up on it. uh, Listen to a show about it. Because it's interesting. And that stuff is just crazy interesting. But I will never experience it, thank God. Because I'll never put myself in a position. <laughs> but, ah, yay, the things I've heard. I did, no, no, no. <laughs> the beauty of Stanley Kubrick, though. Because that guy has had, had, passed after his last film. Very controversial. The things he knew. All the subjects that were in his movies. Look at his movies. They're all very controversial. With subjects that range from pedophilia to war stuff. Okay. Mind control stuff. High society sex game shit with eyes wide shut. Finally, they got rid of him after that, didn't they? Think about it. This guy had so much knowledge. I think people are starting to get scared. Like, what the, is Stanley losing his mind? Is he really going to make that movie? He's crazy. <laughs> what a guy. What a film. I hope you followed me a little bit and aren't completely turned off uh, by this ridiculous <laughs> uh, sort of interpretation of a film. It's about space, right? It's just about space, Jeff. It's about this, uh, you know, this structure they find. It's interesting. And they start making tools. And then they go out into space. And they see it again. And then, like, you know, they, they go through, like, this uh, like this dreamscape. You know, he's just dying. And, you know, he's just seeing stuff. And they dead out baby at the end. And he just kind of threw that in there for a visual. Right? It's it's weird. It's cool. Baby in space looking down on Earth. Wow. The end. Let's go get some ice cream. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Watch it. Do research on stuff. You'll find that there's more to it than that. Lots more. Arthur C. Clarke. Read up on that guy. He helped Stanley write this thing. Look at the things he was into. That'll give you a great understanding of what we're dealing with here. Very interesting stuff. Love diving into a film like 2001. 1968. Stan Kubrick. Stan. Stan, Stan, Stan. You were, without a doubt, the best director... Ever. That's a bold statement. By me. By anybody. But you got so many great ones out there. By the way. I think Alfred Hitchcock was very overrated. I've been watching some of his other films that I haven't seen. And I don't like them. Boy are they boring. Stanley never did that. I love every single one of his movies. Fucking fantastic. Every single one. Was great. He's the best ever. God bless you, sir, for just putting out films. I could. I sat last night, watched 2001. I, I, I'm like, 
This came out in 1968? What? <laughs> My parents haven't even met yet. And Stanley's making this, this movie, like, the visuals, the music he used in this. Just incredible. Uh, he wanted to use Pink Floyd soundtrack instead. Stan, as much as I love Pink Floyd, and I do. No, 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 no. Pink Floyd didn't want to do it anyway. Thank you. The classical music was perfect. Mm. Don't worry, Stan. It worked better that way. What a tremendous film. Uh, on IMDb, I think it's ranked 8.3. It's pretty high. I mean, it's been out out there for a long time. Um, 8.3 is good. Great rating. Great film. And I hope you enjoyed this show. Coming at you during this crazy time. And those of you who are going through it, you're going through it. God bless you. I hope everybody's okay. This world, uh, this country, what a year. And it's only June, folks. So there is this chance that we could end this year on a good note. Yes, it started really rocky. I mean, it's pretty rocky uh, out there, here, uh, in America, folks. It's pretty rocky. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about uh, Mr. Floyd. Um, what happened was so completely tragic, I, I can't watch it. I watched a little bit of it, uh, how he was killed, like 30 seconds. And that was it. Uh, and I found out more information about the whole thing. It seemed like it was pretty complex situation um but wrong um just like any profession uh there are dicks in every profession and i respect cops and what happened to mr floyd was tragic and should have never happened in that police officer should be in prison forever and he killed somebody they should hang him right eye for eye i'm kind of uh going that back there it's just I'm, i'm tired of people uh Treating lives uh, not like they would treat their own. Okay? And as hard as uh, a cop is, their job, and it is very hard, couldn't do it. Uh, they got to be a little more careful. Uh, I'm sure most of them are. Uh, but like I said, <laughs> there are pricks in every career, path, job. Can't get away from them, folks. Uh, they'll always be there as well. Can't get rid of them. But what, what, all these protests, I, I get it. The causes, you know, uh, you're hurting people though. You're, you're hurting uh, businesses. Uh, it had nothing to do with this. So I'm glad that stuff is, I'm hoping that's done. I, I, was, I was so upset about it. I just, the whole thing is just, it's just so upsetting. Uh, and I, I hope that everybody is uh, uh, getting over it. Uh, hopefully, like I said, let's end this year uh, like on an upswing. Wouldn't that be great? Like, hopefully in December, okay, we can look back and go, Merry Christmas, and wow, glad that's over. <sighs> I mean, what the hell is going on, man? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it, yeah, defunding the police will, yeah, that'll solve it. What do they think? It, I think... I hope they realize that's ridiculous, right? Because they want to get rid of guns, but then defund the police. Uh, well, 
Oh, that's not dangerous. <laughs> did, did you think this through? I get it. They're going way out there. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. Okay. Okay. Let's, you know, educate. Get through this. Okay. And I got to bring this up before I end this episode. I know I really shouldn't do this. But, I mean, there are Hollywood people uh, supporting this defund the police thing. Hollywood people. Who live in private estates. Guarded. Privately. Private security. Have the balls. To uh, <laughs> support this. What do they care? Right? Well, let's take away your private security. See what happens. Would you still be for this? Just Hollywood. Be quiet. Some of these stars. Just bite your lip. Bite it. Real hard. Not that it bleeds. But hard enough. Where you go. Ow. What am I doing? Ow. Get brains. Come on. People. And these are the people you look up to. They're not all like that. But some of them are. Oh yeah, let's defund the police as I'm hiding away in my private estate somewhere. Uh Uh-huh. And then flying away on my private jet. But let's uh, get rid of all planes and pollution. But it doesn't apply to me. I know, I'm going on here. I'm going on. (laughs) I'm all about, you know... Helping the planet, of course. I'm not stupid, but I got to get to work, man. And what are you going to do? You, you make the car that goes all in electricity. Wow, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? You plug in your car at night before you go to bed. And when you wake up the next morning, it's just ready to go. And it's good for like all day. Yeah, oh, man. Can't wait. Wouldn't have to go get gas anymore. I don't know how that helps the economy, hurts it. But, you know, if gas isn't used as much, I, I don't know. Uh, anyway. Wow. God bless you. Watch that movie tonight. Watch Odyssey. You know, it's a two and a half hour movie. So, it's a journey. It's not that long, though. You'll enjoy it. But you got to be in the right mindset, too. Because it's one of those films. It's not action-packed. It has deep meaning. And it's beautiful. Look at it that way. You sit down and you watch just a beautiful movie. Art. May it be a part of your life. It has to be. That's my opinion. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, Stay healthy. Stay happy. Be safe. Hope you're safe. And just be with your family. Do something constructive. I have been so busy doing stuff from the house. Wow. I've gotten a lot done. It's been great. Uh, I miss work though. I miss it. I miss the people at work that I haven't seen in two months. I hope everybody's good. I I miss uh, my coworkers. I do. They're great people. Where I work, I'm lucky. Uh, I work with great people. I miss them. Hopefully I get to see them soon. I, I, I really do. So be safe out there. Uh, I hope you're working again uh, or it's happening soon and and you're getting back out there. Uh, movie theaters are opening and shit. So you will be able to go out and see a movie very soon. So do that. I love you. God bless you. Have a good one.